Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Detour Live. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Jones. Joined, as always, four-time national road champion, Johnny Chavarro. And we've brought in our old mate, sports director or head sports director of Teams Bike Exchange, Matt White. Uh, no need to do an intro with Ify because we know who you are. And, and apologies <laughs> straight off the bat, Whitey. You thought we were going to be on the show yesterday, but Johnny still can't wrap his head around time zones and the fact that Europe hey. is behind hey. He's behind. <laughs> it's all right, Mom. It's all right, Johnny. My my mum struggles with that with the same thing as well, mate. <laughs> I've Johnny, only been over here twenty five years, and she still hasn't uh, got a head around it either. You have I one said, job. One I job, John. We'll have you on tomorrow. Well, it was tomorrow for me, but it was the day after tomorrow for you. It anyway, they don't call it tomorrow. PM for me. Tomorrow, tomorrow <laughs> for nothing. That's right. Yeah, and then I love it when you're confronted, John. I go, John, you told Whitey the day before he's on tomorrow, so he sent me a message going, yeah, I've got, where's the link? What's going on? You go, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I said tomorrow. I go, you know it's the day before. Anyway, we got it sorted in the end. So, and I'm here, ready to go. Ready to go. Ready to go. Ready to go. All right. All right. I love getting those digs in early. Uh, but Whitey, great to have you on the show. Um, we obviously want to talk about the seasons underway and, and recap what's happened so far. Obviously, Milan-San Remo was a pretty big one on the weekend. Uh, what were the takeaways from you guys? Obviously, Bling running six, but there was a lot happening in, in the actual race itself. There was. Uh, I think the big game changer this year's Milan-San Remo uh, was the weather. So it was one of the just, – just a little bit slower than the fastest uh, Milan-San Remo. We had tailwind all day. Not so much uh, in the first part, but when we got down to the coast, it was a it was a ripping tailwind, 25 kilometres an hour plus, which that in the combination with the way St. Teeth Road, it was just really hard to split the field. Uh, it was a fast one. Uh, everyone knew that something was going to go on the Poggio. I think Ineos surprised a few with the way they reeled the, uh, railed the descent, which caught a few people out, uh, and there was a split coming off the off the Chipressa. But the, uh, the pace they again rode on the Poggio played into certain people's hands and it also made uh, attacking uh, a little bit harder or getting that gap, that gap a little bit harder. And we saw, we saw probably a bigger group go to the finish than uh, we would have expected. And uh, I was expecting three or four guys, uh, three or four of the big favourites to go off the front and not, uh, not end up having a 12-man sprint. Yeah, I think everyone sort of expected that the talk was the, the, the three big names, Philippe and uh, Van Ert and, and Vanderpool. Everyone was expecting those three to sort of be forcing on the suppressor, I think. Uh, but they didn't do it. No one really did anything until uh, the Poggios. It was all too late. Yeah, the, the, the suppressor was just so fast that no one could make a difference on the suppressor, firstly. And then, then you had you know, the world's strongest man, Filippo Garner riding the bottom slopes of the uh, the Poggio like a world individual pursuit title, and no one uh, no one moved off the wheel until you know the last five hundred meters of the Poggio, and even then there was enough to get an elite group go away. But uh, I think a, a stop start, more aggressive Poggio, and uh, a headwind would have made uh, would have made a lot more difference. But look, we, we knew we knew with Michael that he had to be there ready to react with those guys. He did, and then you know it, it could have gone a lot of different ways for those 10 riders in that last two kilometres. And at the end of the day, one guy gambled. It was all or nothing. And and the big guys watched each other and basically rode themselves out of winning um, last San Remo. Just. just. Jeez, uh, uh, <laughs> I was just say, the, the Eurosport commentators, they were so excited by Caleb Ewan. 
I mean, with about 8K to go, they were like, oh, Callum Ewan's still there. Is there anything the Australian can't do? I mean, did that tailwind, as you're talking about, playing to the hands, or is, is he climbing and going really, really good? Oh, I think a combination, a combination of the two. I think for someone like Caleb, uh, he, he actually got a little bit sick at Tirano, so pulled out. And uh, I've, look, I've seen him do it before. One year he pulled out with us in Tirano and then popped out and, and ran top 10, I think, in his first Milan San Remo. Uh, but I think uh, a, a steady, constant pace on the Poggio, you know, it's, it's a six-minute effort. And, if, and I think the worst thing for those sprinters is after 300 kilometres or 290k at that stage, a real a real stop-start jamming throughout where they've got to react multiple times to climbers. Whereas I think that that pace at the bottom was was worked really well. But it, look, it, it worked in it worked in Kayla's favour. But you've got to have the other legs to follow. And I think he rode he did ride a very very good ride. Gave himself every chance to win. Uh, but the problem there also when you have got someone like Caleb in in a front group. No one really wants to sprint against him because they know that all those guys in the front group, Caleb was the fastest, and I think that that also has an effect on uh, that last two minutes of the race. That no one really wanted to to drag the fastest guy in that group to the finish, neither. Yeah, no, I thought he made that was his only mistake of the race, maybe two. Right at the top uh, of the Poggio, when he actually rolled to the front, I thought you don't really need to do that. What's the point of that? You should have been better to sit back. And especially at that spot, around just 2K to go, just under, when he's on Van Ert's wheel. And Van Ert looks back, sees Caleb right on the wheel, and I'm not going to chase this gap now. That was the mistake. I thought if he sits back fifth or sixth wheel, he maybe, uh, maybe Van Ert would have gone a bit earlier to try and close that gap. Yeah, play play wounded duck there, and and, and sort of you know, put on a bit of a fake face, couple of grimaces, and yeah. and sort of be out of out of sight, out of mind. Exactly, exactly. But anyway, it, I suppose from a spectator's point of view, it is frustrating when there's a the the two k to go flyer that you you know is going to happen, and then you've got those games going on behind. You know, everyone's looking at who's going to bridge the gap. There's not the teammates. I mean, these two k flyers that was happening. You know nearly every stage at the Tour de France. I mean, is it a matter of having a guy that has just got the fresh legs, might not be the target, just backing yourself and, and going for it? Yeah, it, it's the difference is that that no one has no one has the teammate. And then when you look at the, those guys in that front group were the, are the best and the best in our sport at that sort of discipline. And the, the, probably the weakest guy, not weakest, but you know, the, the, the guy that they didn't expect to go went and where, whereas if Vanderpool had done that same exact move, I'm sure otherwise would have been on him straight away because mm. they because they would have went right. Well, if we don't get him now, that's the bike race gone. But because it was Stephen, who's a bloody great bike rider, but yeah, out of out of that ten, you know, he's probably the least of the favourites. And I think if one of the other big favourites had gone instead of him, that could have changed that whole dynamic as well. Another interesting stat I saw, we had Heinrich Hausler on a couple of weeks ago and we, we showed replays of the 2009 San Remo and it came out afterwards that if he was wearing a skin suit, he would have won that race. There's <laughs> Every single rider is wearing skin suits for those races now. No one wants to be that guy that gets done by a millimetre because they weren't wearing a skinny. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 there's lots of little things that the guys are doing now. But, you know, you look at the sock height now with people <laughs> yeah. pushing the limits with the sock height and... You know, it was pretty cold, uh, pretty cold start to the day, and every a lot of the guys had clothing on. But by the time we got down to the coast, everyone had stripped off, and they were wearing the same clothes as a track sprinter was wearing for the last two hours of the race, mate. 
Yeah. Aero the, helmets, socks the, up, skin suits, jumping the, the, the food, you name it. The best was that year. Remember there was that special oil? I think McLaren had that bike. I remember Cookie, he drank the uh, Kool-Aid that year where the McLaren would come in, they'd oil the frame because it, it added some sort of, you know, yeah, extra that, that, watt they, were selling or... it, they were selling it that it was going to give them 10 watts or something like that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they were saying that, yeah, it was the same technology they sprayed the Formula One cars with, but no one That's could right. see the process being done and no. no one could touch no one could touch the bike either. So I can't remember who, who it was, but it was definitely a company that was connected to motorsport and they were selling it to uh, cycling teams as the same technology as F1. Oh, I remember... Um, uh, one of my riders, uh, what's his name, Italian who won the Giro, uh, Salvadelli. Salvadelli had the same thing done to his TT bike just for the Giro TT. They they pulled it apart, sprayed it, and then put it back together and no one could touch it. So that, it's one of those fads. It's one of those fads. If it, if it was that fast, everyone would be doing it, wouldn't they? Well, I think they forgot that uh, in the Formula One car, they're doing 280 kilometres an hour, and at 60 kilometres an hour, it probably didn't have the same effect. Doesn't matter, John. It doesn't matter. It could be a millimetre, in it? Now, I yeah. reckon I reckon just on that, I reckon you probably could, for someone like a Michael Matthews, I still remember that for Welter when they gave him that limited edition bike and all the bling labels and that. I reckon he got it at least an extra 15 watts in the sprint. <laughs> Maybe you could have just a tin of compressed air and just say, <laughs> it's a special spray bling, you know, well, it'll have well, a difference. Hey. It is only March. We could be working <laughs> yeah. on something. It is only March, guys. We could have something special coming. Now, another question that was answered is the effect of testing positive for COVID, how would that affect your performance? Now, Peter Sagan had a big ride uh, finishing fourth. I think that put a lot of that to bed given that, you know, he, he had a pretty big race himself. Yeah, look, uh, it, it is very much – I am not a scientist or a doctor – but it's all very much about the viral load. So it's it's let's just say compare COVID to a common flu. If you get a mild flu and no symptoms, well then you can you are fine. But obviously, if you've had COVID and you have bad symptoms and it affects you for a longer period, so there is people that I know athletes that have are taking a long time to recover from COVID, and obviously. Peter Sargent had no symptoms. The only reason he actually found out that he had COVID is he needed a COVID test to get on a plane to get back from a training camp. So it it is very, very much case by case. Uh, And and just as much of a worry for us at the moment in our little juggling act of the season is uh, is our staff getting COVID. We've had one of our staff is stuck in uh, in Japan. Uh, Azia, one of our, uh, our massage therapists, his three-year-old daughter got COVID from school. So that now now he's isolated at home for 10 days, so he can't go to work. So it's, you know, there's the riders, but there's also, you know, we've got an organisation of nearly 100 people and we have we've have had uh, six or seven people in that organisation with COVID. And, you know, it's 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 a juggling act and it's going to be a juggling act for, for at least this whole season until the vaccine really does uh, kick in, in in big numbers over here. We're talking about the vaccine now, Whitey. What's been the situation with you guys being able to uh, take the vaccine? And uh, is that your plan to get everyone uh, vaccinated ASAP? Well, it, it definitely is our plan. But the problem, John, is um, the people who are controlling the distribution of the vaccine are governments. So there, there's no private organisation that are being able to buy the vaccine. Now, 
people will say, well, what about UAE? Well, I'll tell you what, UAE did it because UAE, the sponsor of UAE is the, is the United Arab Emirates government. And they participated in, a, in a, a vaccine trial last year. So they were able to get their hands on 60 or 70 doses of the vaccine for their team and staff. Now, that is very rare. Uh, and every country is taking it in their own different ways. Uh, in Australia, I, I don't even think they've only just sort of started vaccinating people very, very recently. In some countries over here in Europe, they're, they're a little bit down, down the road. I know in the UK, they've done a really good job and they, uh, they've vaccinated, I think, everyone or 90 plus percent of, of risk, risk people in the risk case uh, scenario. But that doesn't include fit athletes and uh, athletes. As much as uh, you know, we think we're doing a pretty important job for the world here, uh, the most important thing is, is the people who are high at risk and, and elderly people and, and people who are working in frontline industries, yeah. in hospitality, whether it's hospitality, uh, hospitals, you name it. So we, we are very far down on the pecking order. And I, I think some guys will be vaccinated in the next two or three months, but I think summer is a realistic target for, uh, for vaccinating the, the whole organisation. Um, well, we had issues in Australia. We had 250,000 doses that was held up by the Italian government, and I think they were running short, and they said, nah, we're keeping them. So we didn't get them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're probably um, down in Sicily now, those doses. Don't <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Getting distributed hey, with his family and friends. <laughs> hey, before we wrap up, Milan San Remo, if he says to me every week, he goes, mate, you got to start playing those retro videos. You know, they're bloody great. People love them. And what better than 2012, Milan San Remo? I mean, you go back to that year and going into that race, I mean, obviously a bit of a breakthrough was winning the team time trial at Torino. It was a big target. But going yep. into Milan San Remo, you had Gero. I mean, what was your expectations realistically of how the team were going to perform in that edition? Yeah, so I remember Matt Goss was actually going in as the defending champion. Uh, so we had, we had in that preparation phase, we had uh, Simon Gerrans was preparing in Paris-Nice and doing really well in Paris-Nice. I think he was running some, some uh, podium places behind Valverde and a couple of other top riders. So we knew Simon was obviously still in super shape after winning uh, TDU. And the other one was Gossi was bopping around there in uh, in Tirano. He was going okay. Uh, wasn't winning the sprints, but Milan San Remo is not just about winning sprints. So we knew we had uh, two guys in, in pretty good form. So the plan going into that race was to give them both an opportunity. One is the defending champion. So the, our plan A was if it was a sprint, then then uh, Gossi was our man. And our plan B was if something went on the Poggio, Simon was definitely going to have the freedom to go with that move if he could if he could and he certainly could and he went away with uh, two of the best bike riders of uh, generation in uh, Vincenzo Nibali and uh, Fabian Spartigas Cancellara and well this uh, is this is the part in the the backstage where you realize that they're not going to catch him so at this point were you thinking hang on we're up ski yeah oh look one thing one thing that Fabian was at the time was pretty predictable and I think Simon really took advantage of uh, of, Simon, of uh, Fabian's brute strength. This would have to be probably the most excited celebration, I think, in the history, because this is a real big moment. <laughs> that's, that's as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, and then you got the reaction on the bus. I mean, the high pitched squealing. I look back now here. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's, it's piercing the ears. So apologies to the people that are listening to this podcast. But I mean, that was like the front row of a Bieber concert, let's be honest. But I mean, the, the reactions out the front of the bus, I mean, it was just That wasn't one of the podium girls. That was actually uh, Dan Jones. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I remember even even that night, I was saying if you're fair, like I wasn't prepared. I mean, I was homeless Dan. I was going suitcase to suitcase. I didn't prepare if, if there was an event or anything. I had no going out kit. I just remember going out with those Scott-issued green sneakers, a pair of jeans, an Atari T-shirt. We went to one of the ritziest places in Monaco. In Monaco. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, how good is this? Like, I'll just write the coattails. I mean, yeah, it was just a fantastic day. You must look back at memories like that and just sort of pinch yourself. It was, mate. It was. Look, we, we had started off really well at TDU, but uh, that was the race that, that stamped the fact that we were here. And uh, it, it was it was a very, very special moment in, in our organisation's history, that's for sure, mate. All right. Well, another race uh, we want to recap is obviously Paris-Nice. Um, it, was a, it was a big race for you guys. It was the first race that uh, Michael Matthews rode in uh, with his return back to Team Bike Exchange. You had the yeah. leader's jersey at one point there. What were your takeaways from, from that event, mate? Yeah, really, really pleasing. I, I think uh, so... As you know, Jonesy, with the planning, uh, I'm thinking well, well in advance. And there's a group there at Paris-Nice that, that will be our Tour de France team as well. So to get Michael in working with Lucas Hamilton, with working with Luke Durbridge, Armon Janssen, those sort of guys, it was a great start for us. And uh, I think, you know, Michael's, Michael was going after everything. And we went in with a plan there with, with Matt Heyman, who was running the show there at Paris-Nice, that we were going to go after the green jersey, the yellow jersey, really get the team up and about there. And they did a super job. And Michael, uh, that was Michael's first race of the year. And I think that's really set Michael up for a big, what's going to be a big five to six weeks from now until the age fashion on the age. And, uh, but no surprise with Michael. You know, he, he's a racer. He, he, uh, he came in very, very well prepared with a, tr- a training camp in uh, Sierra Nevada. And I think we can only take positives out of, uh, out of that performance and how he gelled straight back into the team. The other one, which is no surprise to me, but maybe a surprise for a few people at home, is uh, is Lucas Hamilton. Now, we we obviously identified Lucas as as a as a as a leader for us on the GC front, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities this year to lead the team. And that was his first chance at leading the team in a World Tour event like like Paris Nice. And for him to finish fourth, and the way he went about the racing, and the way he went about going after time bonuses, which at the end of the day decided decided uh, those minor places was a very, very pleasing. And uh, Simon's got a, uh, Lucas has got a big day today in Catalonia and then some bigger races coming on before he has a rest in spring. But uh, it, it was a great sign for Lucas's first outing as uh, leading our team on the GC front at that level. If he... Yes, and uh, I was impressed. We, we uh, interviewed uh, Lucas just last week. Uh, he, he's such a, a gem, and he was uh, over the moon. Um, what did you, what was your take on uh, what happened with Roglic on the last uh, day? Because he seemed to have the race uh, you know, all sewn up, uh, and then uh, having the two falls. Do you reckon uh, uh, people took advantage of it, or the bike race was, was on? What do you, what's your thought? Oh, look. 
uh, the bike race was on, and I think you got to you got to put a bit of context as well. So the first crash, so he he dislocated his shoulder in the first crash. Uh, most guys would have popped off, uh, had a good cry in the ambulance, but he's he's a tough old one, Rogelick. And and uh, to give a bit of context as well, yeah, you know, Shackman punctured early in the stage, and no one waited for him when he was in second place. Uh, it, it was a ninety k stage. It was on from kilometre zero. And, you know, the old gentleman's, gentleman's agreement, it flies at times, but uh, the sport has changed. And I think when a race is on, it's on. And it doesn't matter what happens to anybody. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all in. And you can't, afford, you can't afford to wait when a race is, is kicking off like that. And it was unfortunate for him. Rodgerslick did deserve to win Paris-Nice. He was clearly the best bike rider there, but that's racing. Uh, and you know, to have two crashes, well, the first one, like I said, dislocated his shoulder, and obviously that would have put him off uh, big time after that. But full merit for him to for continuing on and, and trying to salvage something out of the race. But uh, it, it's bike racing, and, and people will take advantage of, of that in that sort of situation. He copped a bit of flack uh, in the stage before when uh, he ran down the breakaway, the, the young Italian for Bahrain, who looks about, was about to win his first World Tour uh, stage, uh, and uh, Rockley shot him down the last 30 or 40 metres. He copped a bit of flack for that too, but hey, as you say, they don't give him away anymore. No, and, and the thing is, if he, mate, what I like, I love that about Rodgley. Oh, he, he, he and I'd be the same if I was if we're in exactly the same situation with Lucas Hamilton. I would have said, Go for it, let's take it. I'm greedy when it comes to winning as well. And uh, I think when you're on, you're on. It's, we, we, the guys now they do so fewer races in a season that when you have the chance to win, you owe it to your sponsors to take what you can. And I think there's the presence. And those sort of things that that era is it's gone. It's gone. Okay, I get the fact that you can make friends and allies that you might be able to call on in, in different periods of the year, but it, it's a it's nearly a bygone era. And I think when you can get opportunities to win, take it with both hands and run with it. No, I would I disagree. I would have said to the guy, twenty grand cash. I'll let you win it. <laughs> That's why I was never a writer, mate. I would have just gone money talks. Money talks, and I would have slung in my bank details after the stage, giving him the high five, and I would have been the winner. How good was Jonesy? Let him win. Yeah, and no Jonesy, that's why you—that's why you are such a good gambler. <laughs> that's right. That's and, right. And not calling the shots in a team car. <laughs> that's right. Mate, COVID. You don't know where your next check's coming from. You've got exactly. to really make the most of it. Hey, just on Lucas, as if he said we spoke to him um, last week. Geez, good head on his shoulders. You know these country kids that can stay grounded. But is there an underlying fire that has been lit from what happened at the Giro, particularly seeing the results from Jai and Teo? And let's be honest, he knows, hey, if I had that full three weeks, I would have been there in the pointy end. So it's game on. I've got that confidence. I'm going to take that moving forward. Oh, 100%, 100% Jones. And even on a couple of the stages there, the stage that Rodsley clipped off the front, that actually uh, stage four, I think it was. Mate, I, I saw... I saw uh, I saw Jai Hindley move up to the front, and I saw Lucas follow him straight there. And then yep. uh, I think there's there's definitely a bit of that. I think uh, you know, it's yeah. and and I, and I love it. I love yep. it. At the end of the day, what what ma- what makes people tick is is important. And, and if Lucas is if Lucas is thinking in the background, but he you know that was a wasted opportunity from the Giro last year, which it was for us on many fronts because of, you know we firstly losing losing Simon and then getting. 
an opportunity for, for for Lucas to show how good he was. If that's what's if that's what's waking him up in the morning, if that's what's getting him getting him fired up to get the most out of his preparation and racing every day, well then great, because mm. uh, everyone ticks to a different beat, and uh, he's he's going to show he's going to show us today as well in Catalonia that he uh, he's uh, he's in a very good place in spring, and uh, we're only going to build on that during the, during the season. Well, it's funny, like, you know, you watch a series like The Last Dance and how often would Michael Jordan use anything to give that himself that fire? Like if a opposition coach who's out at dinner wouldn't, you know, acknowledge him, that's it, I'm going to score 60 tomorrow. And I think in prof- professional sports, as you said, you've got to have that fire. So how much will, you know, you carry the motivation with your team throughout the year? Do you do you often have to recall on stuff or do you use any of that sort of stuff with the guys or are they at the point where everyone's different, they'll they'll get themselves fired up? Oh, no, I, I think, Jonesy, there's a, there's a time and a place and you've got to know the individuals. And I think uh, sometimes, yeah, if you get the big stick out all the time, well, then it loses its effect. Or if you get, if you get certain mm. things out all the time, so it's really finding the moment with that individual and with that group of when you need to push people's buttons and, and, and where you push them and how you push them. And uh, sometimes, you know, some, some, some guys, they don't, they, don't, they don't need that. But some guys do need a little bit of a push every now and then, and some guys do need just a little bit of a reminder. But uh, it, it is very, very much case by case, and that's the, the relationship you've got with those guys and, the, uh, and where they've come from and, and even what's happened last week. Uh, or the week before has a big effect. So it's an ever-changing, ever-evolving uh, situation with uh, with guys' heads, and knowing the guys is the most important thing. Hey, John, how did you react as a rider? Did you react well to a rev up? Yeah, well, I used to give them up more than get them, but, uh, yeah, no, a rev up. Uh, my old man used to give me a few here and there, and I deserved every one of them. <laughs> Listen here, son, you've got to give up the darts. <laughs> you want to be a champion. It's not time for the beers. Get off the beers. Get off the beers. Yeah. Um, another race that you're obviously very passionate about, and I bloody miss going to Torino back in the day because, geez, the food was sensational on that event. Uh, what what were your takeaways from Torino Adriatico this year? Uh, yeah, for for us uh, as a team personally, I, I think uh, we we saw some good things out of there. Uh, there was a the Queen stage. Uh, Simon Yates was second to Pochikar. Uh I know the numbers on that climb were incredibly fast, and if you saw the depth of that field there, it shows that Simon's in a good place uh, where where we need to be pre Giro. Again, today is a very, very big day in Catalonia, up to Valdez 2000. So that's going to be a big, uh, a big, another big showing for all the all the world's best climbers who are, who are present. But I think we took some real good positives out of that. Uh, some other guys were building their condition for uh, for the classics, and uh, I think the, getting that group together and and starting that process of of gelling was good. I think the thing that we have missed a little bit uh, was. That people may not realise is so we do in our February program. Obviously, Australia was very different for us. Only six guys return to Australia this winter to race, whereas usually we send back twelve or thirteen. So we have a vast uh, half the team arrive in Europe having already raced the nationals, Cadell's race, the Sun Tour, TDU, and that sets us up a little bit differently. And then also the thing that didn't help us uh, for our spring preparation is we do all the Spanish program in the month of February. So we, we had uh, Mallorca, Mercia, Valencia, and Ruta del Sol. Now, all of those races got cancelled due to COVID. 
and, and we couldn't get into the French races in, in February. So we had guys who were starting their season at Strada Bianchi or Tirreno last week. So, you know, we are a little bit behind on the racing front. Now, that, that's going to come. And after one race, you, you're in more of a rhythm than you, you came into it. And some guys do need a little bit more racing to get going than a Michael Matthews, for example, who can just go away, sit on the side of a mountain for three weeks and come back in top form. But uh, I think that's that's the takeaways from Tirano for us. That you know, It's a work in progress, but we saw some great signs. And uh, I think Paris-Nice as well, I saw, we saw some even better signs with how, how that group really went after the race. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was strange with that. You know, I mean, Simon is defending champion at Torino, and uh, we expected more. And then he, that that early first mountain stage, he was off the front, a really good, strong breakaway. He seemed to blow, and he went straight out the back when the main bunch caught him. I thought, oh gee, this is the end for for him. And then, as you say, two days later in the Queen stage, he was brilliant. He almost caught uh, Pochicar, so uh, he, he came back quite quickly. Yeah, and look, uh, that was what happened there with Simon is he cramped in that stage. So it was his. Uh, so he he was in in Strada Bianchi's first race. He crashed, and uh, he hurt himself. It, look, it, it wasn't something that was major, but you know, you, you touch down at fifty k an hour. Three days later, you're not going to be at your best. And then he had two days off the bike. He was supposed to race the next day in Luciano. Had Sunday and Monday off, and then started Tirano. So he was a little bit fresh in in there and. That's, that was the second road stage and he went very, very deep in that last hour and you saw he you know, he won the intermediate sprint, got away in a very, very elite group that looked like they were going to win the stage and then he cramped. And uh, so that was, the, that was the reason why he went from you know, 1.8K to go being in, in the front four looking for the stage win to being dropped 500 metres later. So it was something that was easily resolved, but it was, you know, it was his second race day or third race day of the year. He went very deep for an hour and... Uh, Maybe he made a little bit of a mistake with his fueling uh, or his hydration in that last hour of race. It was a 200-plus K day, and uh, you know, it was something, as you saw, that 48 hours later, it certainly didn't affect him. No, definitely not. You need some of Durbo's body salt tablets in the club <laughs> compartment, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll prevent that. Hey, we've got a few live comments, and if you are watching and tuning in live, uh, make sure you uh, join the show. We've got one from B. Foxcroft. Morning, fellas. With an R. <laughs> awesome to listen live. Can you ask Whitey if he expects Esteban to compete for podiums again? His form seems to be nowhere near it was three to four years ago. Yeah, look, that, that's that's we could have a we could have a podcast just on uh, on that story if we wanted to. But I think uh, look, Esteban's had some yeah you know, he's had health issues and some other issues as well that it has affected him to a certain extent. I, I think he is in good shape at the moment. Uh, we're going to have a, a much better idea of how he's going now in Catalonia. But I think one thing, he needs to get back to that level uh, that we saw him in 2016, 2016 especially. But I think he needs to actually even improve on that. I think one thing this sport has shown over the last 12 months is the level in the last two years with the young guys has gone up another notch. And uh, I think for him to get back to to the level of winning winning races or podium uh, World Tour events, he's actually going to have to be better than he was in 2016 because the, you know, these Pochacars and Almeidas and these Hershey's and those guys who've come on the scene in the last 12 months, they've, they've raised the bar even further. So, oh, look, I, I think we've seen some positive signs. Esteban's come back from Colombia 10 days ago. He's doing Catalonia this week, Basque the week after, and then, then the art ends. So I'm pretty excited to see what he's capable of doing, and we're going to see uh, see that this afternoon. 
Got a few other comments. Uh, Wombat Breath, who loves the show. Great to catch you live. Great memories from the old backstage passes. And he's thrown in Dan channeling his inner Vinokurov. Uh, in case there's legals tapped into this show, we'll just let that one <laughs> slip through the keeper. Uh, Jack Bartle says, Why do you, who do you think is the biggest threat to Simon at the Giro? Uh, Bernal. I think definitely Bernal. I, I've seen the, the, the long list that Ineos uh, are taking to support him. Uh, they're taking uh, Martinez, Sivakov, Sosa. You know, most teams would be happy with one of those one of those support guys as their leader, and they're going to have a hit squad there. Uh, so I think definitely Bernal, and I, I think Bernal, Lander, are the uh, and Simon uh, are the big are the big three for the Giro for me. I think I think Nibali, as much as as you know, he's been an incredible athlete over over the last decade, it doesn't seem like he's been able to return to that to that form that won in the Giro when he beat Esteban four years ago. Um, He's yeah, he's he's getting on, and I think uh, those those older guys really struggle with the lockdown last year because uh, yeah, if you're a routine, uh, if you're a creature of habit, used to racing 70, 80 days a year, and only racing 30 days last year, and having to spend 10 weeks on a home trainer, I think those guys really struggled with that last year. And I think, uh, like I said before, I think the, the bar has been raised, and, and I think it's pretty hard to improve at the age of 36. Just on those super teams you're talking about, like, you know, rattling off the rise at Ineos, can you use that to your advantage? Like, if you want to win the GC and you look what happened at the Tour de France last year, sit off, wait to the death, pipe them right near the finish for the last couple of days. And essentially, it takes the pressure off what you're doing as well. Yeah, and, and without without revealing too much how we're going to approach the Giro, uh, it, it does change things. You know, you know, Two years ago when we had the jersey early on and we, we kept the jersey, that's a different pressure. And that's a different pressure going into the race. Well, I, I can't even remember who Sky even had at that race. Whoever they were, they weren't. Oh, well, actually, they won in the end. But it was in reverse, wasn't it? You know, we yes. didn't even see them the, the first two weeks. They, they sat back off us. They rode off us. And then Chris Broome personally had an incredible day which which catapulted him from four minutes behind to winning the bike race on one day. Mm. Uh, and, and I think we'll be using those sort of similar tactics uh, in the Euro, whereas we know they've got they've got the favorite, they have got the they have got the best team on paper and uh, we just need to be uh, we just need to be a little bit more selective with how we approach our our, our tactics in the race and and pick and choose our moments more. If he, yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to the Giro, but we've got a few races to go on uh, before we get to there. So, what is the plan? So, you've, I was going to ask you uh, where you, you were setting Simon for the for the tour of the Giro. You just answered that, um, but uh, in, in the upcoming uh, classics, what's the what's the plan in the in the uh, in these next few weeks with uh, with Flanders and then uh, the uh, Ardennes classics? Yeah, so like I was saying before, so today's a triple race day. So we've got we've got a team racing in Italy today in Coppa Bartoli, which is a, it's a smaller Italian race. But because of all the cancellation to races in February, there's nine World Tour teams racing there. Uh, there is usually there's two or three. So that's that's a race that's going on uh, in in Italy around the Bologna area, or a little bit to the coast around Rimini. Uh, then we've got a team racing uh, in the Parma today, which is the first of the Belgium classics. Uh, due to some illnesses and injuries, we're, we're starting with only five riders today, but 
We've, uh, we'll be back into full strength for the weekend with, uh, with E3 and uh, again, Wevergham. Now, up there, we're running, uh, we're running a program with, uh, with around Michael Matthews and Luke Durbridge. They're our, our two key guys. Obviously, Durbo uh, is, is more of a guy that is going to have to go long, uh, which I think works well, especially with I think there'll be a few teams quite scared of Van Aert and Vanderpool, because, especially Quickstep, which is the next four weeks is their bread and butter. And I think the general trend of racing we've seen up there in, in Belge is people are going from far. You know, this is the, the, the race-winning moves are not happening in the last 30K of a race anymore. Sometimes they're going from 60, 70K uh, from the finish. And so Durbo's our man for that sort of stuff, which, which also uh, uh, really complements Michael as well, whereas Michael will be riding really more off some of the other big favourites. And uh, he can, you know, try to come across in the later phases with those big guys when they move. So, you know, for the, for the next couple of weeks in the Flemish part of the classics, it's about it's the combination of Durbridge and, and Matthews. When we get into the Ardennes, we'll run a bit more of a mixed bag. So Michael is is such a versatile athlete that he will obviously be carrying on there for Amstel, Flesh, and Liège. And then we bring we're bringing back in Lucas uh, Lucas Hamilton for for Liège especially. And we're not sure about Flesh, who will be leading us there. It'll be based off form. I, I don't think we've got anyone who can win Flesh or, or even podium Flesh. But we've got a few guys who could run top 10. And then on the other side, out we've got our Giro roster who are preparing. Some some are preparing in Copa Bartley, some in Catalonia. Then we've got them doing an altitude camp before we bring them together for Tour of the Alps. Now, it's a race that used to be called, uh, you might remember, John Trentino, which, was, which has been on for a long time. And it's... It's five days in the Alpine region in Austria, in, in Italy, crisscrosses across the borders, and you do some of the similar climbs that we uh, we do in the Giro, but still at the tail end of winter. So it, it's a tricky one weather-wise. But we will have you know, six of our eight Giro roster riding that one around Simon. And then uh, and then Tour of Romandy, which uh, which is the last sort of stage race in spring. And uh, and that that's another one where Lucas Hamilton will be leading us. So... The big thing we're waiting on in these uh, next couple of weeks is uh, it looks like, if you if you believe all the rumours that are floating around here, it looks like Paris Bay highly likely won't be on, uh, and they'll be putting it back to an October date. Uh, that's what all the politicians are saying in that region. We've heard nothing official as of yet, but it doesn't look good in that in that part of France. COVID still is an issue, and I think that the local governments up there are really more scared about yeah. You've seen Paris-Roubaix how crazy it is fan-wise, and they don't want they don't want a mobile crowd of twenty or forty thousand people jumping between sectors in the middle of a pandemic. Whereas the Belgium races, they they have made it very very clear that only you can only watch the race if that's if the race passes where you live. So the the crowd control is a lot more stringent in Belgium, whereas uh, in France, which obviously Paris-Roubaix is not raced in Belgium, it's it's raced on the border. They don't have the same restrictions and they're really worried about people coming across the border and uh, from Belgium to watch the race and, and, and the French fans you know, congregating too closely in, in, uh, in, in what is you know, still, we're still in the depths of uh, the second or third wave of our pandemic over here. Yeah, we're talking to uh, Sarah Giganti uh, uh, tomorrow night and I know that she was saying... No, no not that. tomorrow night, John, Friday night. You got your date, your bloody dates again. <laughs> but, uh, she was heading down to do uh, some recon on the Robay course, but as you say, it looks very much like uh, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, well, look, your guess is as good as mine. We're waiting on, we're just waiting on official, 
official news there from the ASO, but it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for Parry Bay. But look, if, if that's the only race we lose in spring uh, and it gets put back to October, then that's fine. That's fine. It, yeah, it, it just changes. It just changes some planning. But at the end of the day, we're, we're I think the sport's done a very good job managing our calendar uh, in, in in the circumstances that we have. And to lose one day in spring, considering everything that's going on, it'll be a minor loss. And yeah, if they put it back in October, then it'll still be run and it'll still be raced by the same guys. Now, I've got another video flashback I want to bring up from 2012 that's an absolute belter because we're talking about the classics. Now, before I get to that, Johnny, it's your time to open up the shoulders. Get your script out. Give the sponsors a plug. Let's open the batting with Let's Go Motorhomes. <laughs> well, yes. the uh, Let's Go Motorhomes. Why not holiday in Australia's best motorhomes and campers? They love helping people with their incredible holidays. One of Australia's leading motorhomes and camper van rental companies. They've got vehicles to suit all types of travellers for all kinds of adventures, and you can go where you want. So we're going to ask you uh, very shortly, Whitey, if you had a, a week to travel around a Let's Go motorhome, where would it be? So you can get uh, your answer ready, mate. But uh, travelling, yeah, so you're going to say something there, uh, uh, Daniel? No, I was just going to say, why wouldn't you just ask him that at the end? Well, you I will. I, do, I was double, not even prepared. <laughs> double dip your corn chip. <laughs> okay. Right on. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, whatever. Come on, mate. You're doing a great uh, job, I've, John. Just I've keep lost, going. I've mate. lost your place. I've lost your place. But um, the, the, the one thing about uh, that they say with, with Let's Go is you've got to plan, plan, plan. Something I haven't done very well with this ad. But we have <laughs> <laughs> the spontaneity, spontaneity of where, where you're going to go in your next adventure. So, why Spontaneity. It's a new word. If that doesn't move, let's go. Camper vans, nothing will. The spontaneity, just do it. <laughs> Where would you go for your uh, let's go motorhome uh, uh, holiday? If you had a chance, anywhere in, in Australia, Whitey, where's, where's the place? Anywhere in Australia. Well, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of uh, that Coffs Harbour region. Uh, it's it's a, bit of a, a bit of a drive up the coast from Sydney, about, about six hours, I think, in a caravan. But it's far enough up, up north that the water temperature is war, is nearly Queensland water temperature, and I love that. I love that area, Coffs Harbour. It's changed a fair bit over the last fifteen years from a uh, you know pretty sleepy town of about thirty five thousand. I think it's about eighty thousand now. Um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful area right on the coast there. Great beaches and uh, a big enough town that you can do whatever you want. I, I like the area. I could I could actually see myself living in a Let's Go caravan. Oh. In uh, somewhere up there, I tell you, mate, well, I love it. Well, they've got ovens in them, so I thought you would have done like a pie tour, you just started <laughs> stockpiling them, and then just sampling it on the road. Oh, I, I could just make my own stall, mate. And that could be uh, that could be my next my next job. <laughs> next to the beach, somewhere I can see myself. At the moment, I think you might need a let's go uh, a motorboat at the <laughs> to get through. <laughs> yeah, it's I know. All, you're all flooded I've, up there at the moment. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. And look, as far as uh, as far as the floods go, how are the floods going? Where 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 are they affecting the worst in Australia at the moment, guys? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's all all the north coast there from from uh, virtually the Gold Coast right down to Sydney. It, it, it's pretty 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 horrific. Yeah. Mm. I've seen I've seen the old mice plague. Is that going to help out the mice plague by by killing the little buggers? 
I think they have. I think they've just washed him away. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a few cane toads as well. Yeah. Um, Iffy, Jaco, have you got a script for this one? Or are you just no, we, don't, we, we, we don't need a script for this because, I mean, the funny thing is about uh, all the uh, Let's Go Motorhomes just happen to be Jacos, as we say. But uh, if, if, at the moment, uh, I mean, I think uh, like 10,000 uh, back orders for Jaco uh, uh campus and caravans so uh, it's going pretty well but look if you're going to be buying looking at a Jayco uh, caravan why not go if you're going to be looking at a caravan you'd go for a Jayco I mean uh, support the people who support us so uh, Jayco caravans let's go that's it <laughs> and Mitchell and Wines Johnny well you know whack them all in together well Mitchelton the uh, um, one of Australia's favourite wineries and a place of escape Experience the history, the beauty, and the serenity of the Goulburn Valley at your own pace. Looking over the vineyards from the iconic tower, staying at their new hotel, relaxing by the pool. Look at it. Fantastic. Recharging in the day spa, exploring the seasonal menu at the Muse, and stopping by the Provador, uh, touring the cellars, and, of course, tasting their signature wines. The, the, the Muse restaurants are actually amazing. I'll be up there next week. Uh, sample their seasonal menu with all, uh, uh, as I say, wines perfectly paired, and we've got to recharge by by the day and relax by night in this special spa. And if if all else fails, well, if all else fails, get married. That's what I was going to say. If all else fails, you just got to cash your chips in, do it at midnight. <laughs> All else fails, get down into the cellar and look in the absolutely amazing. I was talking to you. You're right there, mate. You're all over the shop with your script. I can't follow. Now we're yeah. talking about the art gallery. We are. And it's the most amazing. <laughs> it's the, 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 the largest uh, um, private art, uh, Aboriginal art gallery in the world. Um, yep. And there it is. The ten thousand dollar Land Cruiser with the uh, two point five million euro uh, paint job. What have you ever heard a more polished group get through sponsored promos than what you just experienced? <laughs> not not in this part of the world, anyway, mate. Not in this part of the world. Well, Actually, you I... have given me you have given me a great idea for when I uh, when I return to Australia next year. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, I've been stuck over here for a year year and a bit. But I am definitely going to try to come home uh, with the family. Uh, in December this year, and I reckon I reckon I might uh, ask Jerry if I can get one of those Let's Go caravans and have a have a oh, good yeah. old little holiday up to Coffs and and travel right. around Australia because my my kids have seen my kids have seen a lot more of Europe as they have than uh, their own country Australia. So it would be a bloody great way great way to see Australia in a Let's Go caravan. Mate, I reckon ABC would almost have commissioned a documentary series on that. There's <laughs> <laughs> at least eight solid episodes. <laughs> well. It's time now for a word from Bike Exchange, and all I can say is thank God it is compiled in a polished ad and we don't have to talk to a script. So. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. 
and pro amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Thanks again to our great mates at Bike Exchange. Now it's time for that segment. It's back, the Detour DeLorean. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Now, Wadi, Dupana is starting. It's not three days anymore. Uh, but when I mentioned the 2012 edition of uh, Three Days of Dupana, what's uh, is there any particular moments from that edition of the race that really jump out at you? Uh, there's a couple, but the, the uh, when I lost uh, when I lost my marbles, when I lost my marbles at that uh, at that car that was didn't get out of the way quick enough uh, when Svein Tuff was catching his Minuteman after in about seven minutes. Correct. Yes. Correct. And here's the vision. So it was meant to be. Can you set the scene? Like Swaino was trying to get on the podium here. Yeah, which I, th- I think he nearly did in the end. I think he nearly did in the end anyway. Uh, yeah. It was our first year. We were up and about there, and and uh, Swaino is obviously one of the world's. Uh, he finished second in the world time trial championship. He was coming up on his minute man. And uh, into a into a dead turn U turn, and the, the road, as you can see, there's only one car width. Motorbikes in the way. Spain's coming up at a very fast speed, and uh, the car in front, which had guests in it, didn't quite get out of the way fast enough. Yeah, let's bring the audio up for this bit. This is classic. Listen to this spray. Oh, you! F- <laughs> you puppet! F- yeah, he couldn't even do a proper no. Yui. That is it by a second or two. <laughs> and hey, then this is bull. This is you let VIPs drive behind <laughs> riders. It's bull. It's a fair spray for the hey, commissaire, but you shy race or a club race? It's. If it costs us to win, this is bull. <laughs> that was a that was an all time classic spray. But let's fast forward to the end. I mean, Swaino has lost the race by or lost the podium. I think it was by like eight seconds. Or it was really close. Yeah. You've gone into firing a, another complaint to the third umpire. I think you got pretty much donuts. Hey, what can we do, eh? And yeah. um, <laughs> it's bait racing. And Swaino's just on the rollers here. Bad luck, mate. Is that, how sketchy was that, man? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when you've got through, that the motorbike hit the car, <laughs> and the back of the motorbike's <laughs> flying off onto the road. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, yeah. Well, I took it well. I took it like a gentleman, didn't I? I, heard, I heard. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of got me fired up again. But it was a chill dude. But yeah, now that was you couldn't script that. You couldn't script oh, that. Um, I, I, I've caught up with Spano. I keep in contact with Spano. He's going well. He's uh, he's relocated uh, back to Canada now. And uh, and selling in, he just had a uh, a baby girl a week ago. Sent me a message on on Tirano, and uh, another addition to his family. Uh, but uh, 
he was uh, yeah one of the most special people that I've ever worked with. And uh, under it didn't matter what situation we're in, you'd get the same Svano uh, in the morning, in the nighttime, under stress, you name it. And he was a very very good balance for for us as, as especially as a new team, as a new team. Uh, he was a real sta- stabilizer for for the whole the entire time he was with that organ with our organisation. Well, you raise a good point. Is that why someone like a Matt Heyman's probably a good influence for these younger guys, particularly coming up to the classics now, just being that sort of level head that can sort of pass on all of his sort of wisdom as well? Oh, 100%. I, I would, I, there was no better person I would have running the show up north than Matt Heyman with this organisation. Mm. He, mate, he, is, he is like having a Belgie without having the Belgie passport. Uh, he knows those roads like the back of his hand. He's been racing on them since he was a kid. He has a passion for those races, and he has a really good connection with our group up there. And uh, look, it's 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 not the strongest part of our organisation. You know, we've we've gone. We we're very we obviously G, the GC is where we've uh, has been our bread and butter at, at stage races over the last few years. But, you know, I think with the addition of Michael Matthews into that group, I, th- I think we're going to see some good things over the next couple of weeks. And sometimes you need a bit of luck. And uh, But I think we've got – that group up there is in very good hands with Matt Heyman running this show. We've got uh, some more fan questions coming in. Simon Heavey says, what is Lucas Hamilton a walk-up start for the Latour this year? Well, I can't name our Tour de France roster, but let's just say that uh, he's going – very well in the uh, in the long list for the month of July. Yeah, Wendy, super fans checked in. Hi, Dan and John. Just got home from SCC. Nice to see Matt on. Best of luck for the team, Matt. Uh, your mate, Thanks, Wendy, Vazzy, welcome in all together. Another iffy classic. I think you were talking about the sponsors. Uh, Numb nuts. It said any work word from Tiger Tawari on how he felt at his first race back. I think that's Sam Bewley given that he had his uh, Twitter account hacked by Tika Tawari. <laughs> no, so, so uh, Bill's, Bill's uh, pinned on a number for the first time yesterday in a in – a te- well, it was a, it was a double-stage day. It was 100K in the morning and team time trial in the afternoon. And uh, I think he's in he's, he's in for a pretty pretty intense week this week. Uh, Copper Barkley this year is one of the hardest editions metres of climbing-wise. And uh, I think they've got a day, a hilltop, a circuit day today with 3,300 metres of climbing. So Bills is straight into the fire. Uh, and uh, his, uh, his goal is there to try to make the Giro roster come May. He's had, uh, he's had a hell of a lot of bad luck in the, in the last 12 months, but he's been working away really hard. And uh, fingers crossed he can uh, get back into the groove of racing quick. And we've got another uh, comment for our great mate, Jason Cruz. A decent spray, Whitey, from uh, Dupana. Were you dished out any fines for that? We were not. We were not. And uh, I, I'll just say it's lucky that I couldn't jump out of that car quick because <laughs> yeah. uh, I was I was pretty ropeful. Oh, look, I, you, you know me, Jonesy and Nippy. I can get pretty high strung at times. And I think, I've, I, think I have mellowed out a little bit over the last decade. But, uh, you know, I, I've, I know how much hard work those guys put into to getting results. And, you know, Spano was up for the win there and, and uh, I did uh, – I did lose a little bit of control there for uh, a few uh, minutes, let's say. Now we've got another que- we've got another question uh, that's not on the list, but the old man on the drive back from Geelong today said, "Oh, can you ask Waddy? Uh, is there any riders on the list that are flying under the radar that we should be looking out for on your team at the moment?" Yeah, 
There, there is, and I suppose he's not too much under the radar now because we've talked about him a fair bit, is, is obviously Lucas. But I think uh, the people who caught uh, Catalonia the other day is uh, Dion Smith. So the first mm. stage of Catalonia, there was a little breakaway that, you know, there wasn't, we, we, we tried to chase, we didn't get too much help. And in the end, the break stayed away by 15 seconds. Now, Dion won the sprint there for fifth and uh, at Catalonia. And he's, for him, we, we, we gave him the nickname as DI2, which is Daryl Impey the second. He didn't really like it. <laughs> um, but uh, I see Dion as a very similar rider to Daryl in the fact that, you know, he's not an out-and-out sprinter, but when they're those reduced sprints, uh, he's he's certainly capable of polishing off the best of, uh, the best of the rest, and sometimes that's for the win. And uh, I think that was a great start for him day one in Catalonia, and he's going to get another couple of opportunities maybe this week, then in Basque, and then Romandy. So I think Dion Smith's a bit of a sleeper. Uh, Rob Stannard, which uh, he's only 22, uh, he's chipping away there, at developing as, as fast as he can. And uh, the other one who, uh, who I think is is Caden Groves. Now Caden. Unfortunately, he has been involved in some crashes at UAE Tour and Paris-Nice, and he's going to have a little bit of a spell now. But I, I'm a big fan of Caden, and I, I really believe that Caden uh, is going to net us some wins this year. It might not be in the next six weeks due to what's happened in spring, but you saw the turn of speed he had in some of those Aussie races. And I, I think uh, if you ask us at the end of October, I, I, my prediction is that, Caleb, uh, that Caden will, will get us between three and five wins by the end of the year. Uh, good stuff. If he... I just noticed you talked about Cover uh, Batali. It's great to see the old Cav back, and he's in the, the leader's jersey at the moment, eh? It is, it is, and uh, it looks like the old wolf pack has uh, given you his mojo back, eh? <laughs> 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 no, uh, it's, it's, it's bloody great to see because I think, you know, Cav's been in a bit of a rut there for, well, four years, really. And, uh, you know, if, if this is Cav's last year, it would be great to see you know, the best sprinter. For me, I'm, I'm calling him the best sprinter ever. I, I know that he hasn't won as many stages as Eddie Merckx, but Eddie Merckx was the best bike rider ever. And uh, I think Cav's definitely the best sprinter that the sport's ever seen. And it would be really nice for him to finish off the season, finish off his career with uh, with some nice wins. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And he's had two two seconds so far. So, yeah, he's, he's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door. Mm, that's right. Uh, anything you want to add before we let Whitey go? If no, you... no, look, it's great to uh, speak again, mate. And, uh, um, yeah, look, let's, let's hope we can get a, a, a big one in, in the next uh, couple of weeks. And before I let yeah. you go, Matt, uh, what was the food like at Torino? Well, I can't let you go without asking a food question. Yeah, look, if, you, if you're eating poorly in Italy, you've really hit, hit rock bottom. You've really hit rock bottom. And, and we didn't. So... Uh, I think that the, the hotels weren't the best that we've had there, but I think that is due to the fact that so many hotels are closed uh, mm. and and not allowed to be open. I, I made some bookings for some routes from Giro Recon that I did, and, and a lot of them got closed at the last minute because in Italy, uh, as it is in most countries here in Europe, a lot of the, the COVID controls are very regional. So that's changing week to week. So, you know, you know, in Siena, where Strada Bianchi was, they, none of the teams were allowed to stay in Siena. They had to put them out because Siena was a red zone. The race was unlucky to even be handled, uh, even held with no fans. And so I think the, the hotels, the hotels were okay, but the food never lets you down in Italy uh, or wine. And, uh, and we were treated to some great, uh, some great meals uh, over in our little two-week jaunt in Italy.
As I know COVID's probably spelt the death of the buffet, but what about those palms and cheese wheels? Have they survived? They haven't survived COVID <sighs> and the uh, they have not. They have not. Oh, no. They'll be back, don't worry. They'll be back come summer, I reckon. They'll be back. Yeah. But uh, the the buffet the buffets still exist, but they uh, the, you've got to you know, it's like going back to Sizzlers. But yeah. this time there's someone behind there's someone behind the bar serving you from the buffet right. at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, as soon as they open up these borders, John and I will be sniveling around to Jerry <laughs> trying to do this show on the road just to get among the tucker more than anything. I can just, I see, you boy, I can just yeah. see you boys travelling in a uh, in a let's go caravan. Like yeah. National Lampoon's European vacation, going live from the side oh, of the road. Yeah, let's, hope, oh, yeah. let's hope sooner rather than later. That's well, it. Yeah. All right, well, thanks uh, again for joining the show, Whitey. We'll be checking again throughout the year, no doubt. And uh, good luck for these uh, upcoming blocks of races. Uh, you know, fingers crossed we get some pretty big results. Yeah, look, it's a very, very busy month of racing. And if you're a fan of cycling, it's, uh, it's the month to be staying up late and watching races. Bloody oath. Well, we look forward to it. Thanks again. And uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Detour Live. We'll see you again soon. Sarah Gigante in a couple of days' time. See you then.